minute ball. Get out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. If anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Play ball! This is the third episode of the Powell at the Park podcast. Welcome in. I'm Kevin Powell, the host. Really appreciate you listening, and thanks to everyone who's given the first two episodes a listen. We're going to continue to crank these out every week, and uh, hopefully you continue to listen every week. But having fun doing it, and appreciate everyone that's listened. If you could subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, rate and review, that would be much appreciated. All right, on today's episode, I talk with White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. I check in with, um, with him and see how how Sox camp is going and uh, had some interesting things to say about Zach Collins and Dylan Cease in particular that I thought were really interesting. Uh, I also talked uh, some Cubs with Patrick Mooney from The Athletic. Now, I always like to start every show with, I don't know, a little some audio that kind of caught my eye or whatever basically um, I thought was interesting from the past week and as you'll begin to notice as as you listen to this podcast more and more, and for anybody who knows me knows how much I love food and how much I like to eat. So what caught my eye this week were a couple things. First of all, I got an email from White Sox Media Relations, and I always look forward to this email. Every spring for the past three or four years now, since I've been covering Chicago baseball, I look forward to this email. And... The email is from Sox Media Relations, and it's White Sox offer media tour at Guaranteed Rate Field for sneak peek of highlights for 2018 season. Exclusive media tour includes inside look at new food and spaces. So every spring they invite a bunch of media members to go to Sox Park, and we get to try all the new food. It's awesome. They just put a huge spread out for us. We get to walk around the park, and they show off some new amenities and things like that. Um I just love it. And everybody at the station here at WGN is like lined up to do this because I, I always talk about this and, and people are interested to see what that's like. So anyways, I'll be doing that early next week. It's March 27th. So the next episode, I'll have a full review and give you a, an idea of some of the new food that you can get at uh, at Sox Park. Staying on the, the food conversation here, ballpark food, Major League Baseball is holding a food fest in New York next month, April 21st through the 22nd. Tickets are like only $25, and, and people can go and try the best ballpark dishes from around Major League Baseball. I love the idea of it. I hope it comes to Chicago eventually. But every team can pick one item they offer up at the ballpark. People can go and try things out. You know, for example, Baltimore Orioles. We'll be serving the Chesapeake Waffle Fries. Waffle fries paired with a crab dip made of crab, of course, and cream cheese and mayo. Sounds amazing. I'd eat it. Red Sox serving up lobster rolls. Atlanta will have some sort of barbecue dish. There is uh, Seattle's doing toasted grasshoppers. Come on. I know eating insects is a thing now, but I'm not interested in eating grasshoppers at a ball game. No, thank you. Tampa serving up a Reuben Cuban sandwich. I need it. Um, Washington has a crab grilled cheese. For the Cubs and Whites, the Cubs got real creative. They're serving up a Chicago dog. A beef frank served in a poppy seed bun with sport peppers, a dill pickers, a pickle spear, tomatoes, onions, relish, and mustard. So I get it. You know, it's very Chicago. 
The food at Wrigley's pretty awful. I think they probably should have went with hot dogs because that's the best stuff at Wrigley is the different sort of encased meats they serve up behind center field. Uh, White Sox went with the Southside Horseshoe, and Horseshoe is sort of like a central Illinois thing, but I don't necessarily associate it with the Sox. I mean, obviously the best thing at Sox Park is the Polish sausage with extra onions, a little bit of mustard. I always ask for extra onions. Um, They're going with the Southside Horseshoe, Italian sausage, fries, cheddar sauce, and garlic Texas toast. It sounds pretty good. I'd eat it. It's not very Chicago, though, and I don't think of the horseshoe when I go to Sox games, but sounds good. I would have went Polish. I also like the uh, sandwich they serve there. Um, It's like Italian beef, and then they saute it, and they mix in Merck's cheddar cheese, and then they top it with Jardinier. That's pretty damn good. So I love this idea of the food fest because there's so many foodies, myself included, out there and in the sports world. I always like to try different food at different ballparks. I get to I get to go visit. So, you know, the Mets are doing a New York deli pastrami sandwich. Makes sense. Uh, Pittsburgh, heavy Polish population. Pulled pork, pierogi, hoagie. Pulled pork, pierogies, and crispy fried onions in a bun. Good luck with that. St. Louis doing a salami sandwich. Uh, San Diego, Seaside Markets, tri-tip nachos. San Francisco, a crazy crab sandwich, which everybody uh, raves over. Haven't had it myself. Detroit doing chicken shawarma nachos. So, cool idea by Major League Baseball. I think it's sold out like in minutes, but I hope this is uh, like a uh, like a traveling tour every year. You know, do it in New York one year, bring it to Chicago, maybe go to L.A., whatever. Mix it, mix it around. So, um, I love that. So that's how I wanted to start the show with with baseball food talk. And believe me, there's going to be plenty more food talk on this podcast. Because as I, as I said, anybody who knows me knows how much I love food. I enjoy ballpark food. So uh, we'll have plenty of that. Um, maybe we'll get some reps from the Cubs and Sox to talk some food and what's new at each ballpark. But uh, next week's episode, I'll have a full recap of the media tour of Sox Park. We get to taste the new offerings. I'll have the latest there. I'll rate and review everything, let you know what you should spend your money on. Uh, that'll be in uh, next week's episode. On today's episode, had a, a couple of great conversations. Of course, it's always White Sox and Cubs. It's mostly evenly split here on this podcast. Um, so if you hate the Sox, just fast forward through it and go to Cubs and vice versa. Whatever you want to do. But um, I cover both teams in town, so... We're going to continue to talk about both teams in town. I had a, a conversation with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, and uh, as I mentioned, and you know, I asked him to kind of grade spring training. There's been some pretty bad injuries for the White Sox, but there's some, been some really good stuff, some genuine relationships being built, and uh, some other positive growth from, from certain players. So I started the conversation with Rick and just asked him to grade spring training for the Sox. No, yeah, I would say it's, a, it's been a very good spring. We were really pleased with how the young players who've gotten an opportunity have uh, 
acclimated themselves at the big league level. Obviously, uh, Eloy and, and Luis didn't get quite as much run in big league games as you would have hoped because of their uh, setbacks. However, I think in the short time that they uh, were able to perform, you saw a lot of things to be excited about. Dylan Cease uh, had, a, had a marvelous spring and, and looks to, knock on wood, put any injury issues that he's had in his past behind him and is, is poised to what appears to be uh, to have a, a very fine year ahead of him. Michael Kopech obviously threw the ball well. Dane Dunning, uh, a lot of guys who were getting uh, their first exposure to Ricky and the staff uh, really made good impressions. And and you, you touched on something from a from a cultural perspective that's very important to us, and that's uh, the tone of what Ricky and the coaches said at the big league level and having our players understand that throughout our minor league system. And a lot of sort of the, the bonding or the uh, uh, cultural side of things that we put in place during the course of spring training does have a carryover effect as these kids go back to their affiliates, and, and we think we'll, we'll serve everybody well over the course of this summer and certainly into the future. Well, just being in the clubhouse a little bit this spring, you can really sense the genuine excitement it's a fun clubhouse guys are laughing guys are hanging out guys are playing cards they're doing whatever it it seems to all have happened organically very much so and 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 you have a lot of guys who are coming up together who have obviously read the press clippings and knows what the expectations of them and this organization are going forward and they're very much embracing it and and they're they see the talent that's around them they see the talent that's coming and as a as a unit they're with pride uh embracing the notion of being sort of that next Sox group that group that young core that uh ideally is going to coalesce together and, and put ourselves in a position to win championships here over the next several years there's still a ways to go obviously and obviously they're not all at the big league level uh just yet or likely not even over the course of the 18 season but the the work that's being done both in big league camp and then once they they arrive in minor league camp and then throughout the summer at there's affiliates those bonds we suspect are only going to get stronger and is, is going to again serve the organization well uh, once we're in a position to win well i want to ask you rick i don't think you've been asked this question once not one single time this entire spring rick and that's when will michael kopech and elo jimenez be called up to the big league club <laughs> You know, it's funny. It, obviously, that's a, it, we've replaced the questions from last spring about Yohan Moncada and, and Ronaldo Lopez and, and Lucas Giolito with, with Eloy Jimenez and, and uh, Kopech. And, and frankly, I hope a year from right now you're asking me the same questions about Luis Robert and Alec Hansen or Dylan Cease or any of a number of the young guys who are in that, that next wave. And it was important to us to, to, as we built this thing, to make sure that we had, uh, in, for lack of a better description, sort of wave upon wave of talent coming to us uh, that was going to continue to grow this core over the course of the next several years. As for uh, it, as was the case with Moncada and Lopez and Giolito and will be the case with Kopech and, and Eloy and will be the case for each of the next generations after them, they're going to come to Chicago after they've answered all the questions we've had for, have for them at, at the minor league level. There is very much an element of development that happens in Chicago that can only happen at the big league level given the unique speed of the game at the major league level however there is still some things that each of those players have to uh, have to have to round out at the minor league level Eloy is only 20 he's spent about three weeks above a ball and uh, while we suspect he is going to uh, ideally when he picks up where he left off in Birmingham at the end of last season and, and makes a very large ballpark look small 
uh, and then ultimately, you know, has the other challenges of potentially AAA ahead of him, we suspect he's going to force the issue on us, given given the talent in terms of when his promotion comes. Uh, Kopech, you know, he's 21 years old. His career high in innings is about 135 or so, which he set last year. And uh, by his own admission, and I think for, for all of us who have worked with him, we see, you know, he needs a little bit of more work on, on the changeup, which he's going to need at the big league level. Uh, and as he's talked about, you know, some of the composure things that got to him this spring need to need to be refined. But both of those two are, are really good, and the really good ones have a way of sort of forcing the issue on you. And we suspect over the course of this summer, each each of those two players will do that to us. Well, met- That's uh, we, we call that a good problem to have around here. You mentioned the composure and the changeup to to Kopech. Was that your your main message to him as as he was reassigned to minor league camp? Is that kind of what you you know relayed to him? And those are the two things you want him specifically working on absolutely and we had a real good talk with with michael uh yesterday or day before whichever day it was when we sent him out and uh a lot of the times in those meetings you know especially in spring training they're not surprises michael knew from the start that our expectation was that he was going to begin the year in charlotte and there were certain things that we were hoping he'd get out of big league camp so when when you have those meetings especially with a guy who's expecting to be sent out you really let them sort of guide the conversation uh, about what they feel they got out of camp and what expectations they have and what they feel they need to work on themselves over the course of the summer. And and Michael was the one who led with uh, being happy with the progress his changeup has made in a short period of time, which we agreed with, uh, but also feeling like it's you know it's going to be an important pitch for him going forward. And he wants to continue to stay on it. And then Michael himself was the one who raised the the composure uh, you know issues he had a few times. And we talked about sort of what was behind that, and 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 really, not shockingly, given his given his makeup, it was about you know the very high level of expectation he has for himself, pitch to pitch, and when he's not executing a specific pitch, he gets frustrated. Uh, again, with time and repetition, that's and, and age, that's all going to iron itself out, and is is that level of competitiveness when properly reined in is is really going to serve him well. Of course, you have the general manager's perspective, but back to Eloy for a second. Fans and his teammates seem in awe of what he can do. A real special player. What was your takeaway from seeing him in a full camp with you guys? Uh, as advertised, you know, we obviously had been a fan of his going back to when he was an amateur back in, I believe, 2013 was the year that he, he originally signed with the Cubs, and, and our pro scouts have thought very, thought very highly of him uh, leading up to our acquisition of him last summer. And then once the once we had him in, in our system, our player development folks in, in both Winston-Salem and, and Birmingham uh, spoke extremely high of uh, not just the, the obvious tools that are apparent to the naked eye, but the way he... Uh, fits into a clubhouse uh, uh, how uh, high energy and gregarious he is as well as uh, his work ethic and his responsiveness to instruction and and all that was as advertised over the course of the month or so that we had him in big league camp here he's he's, uh, obviously an extremely talented individual everyone knows that and uh, once you get to spend a little bit of time with him on a regular basis you realize uh, that he's a, a pretty special guy off the field as well which is which is just tremendous and obviously the type of the type of individual we want to have representing this club uh, one of the guys I had a chance to talk to a couple times out when I when I was out there in the uh, in the desert also had him on this show uh, Lucas Giolito just a really um, how would I describe it he, he's very dialed in he's very 
like connected to his his game, his craft. He's uh, you got to be pretty happy with what you've seen from him so far, the big league level and this spring. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's a very mature kid. People forget the fact that uh, when you spend a little time with him, that he's only 23, that he was a high school draftee uh, and a high school draftee who needed Tommy John at the time of, the, of, of his selection by the Nationals and, and therefore, you know, missed some development time early in his career. Uh, from the start, when we first acquired Lucas, you, you could tell that he understood his mechanics very well, that he was a very realistic self-evaluator about where he was and what he needed to do to, to get better. Uh, the, the pure stuff and ability was always there, and it was really a matter of uh, you know, fine-tuning the, the mechanics so to enhance his ability to repeat the delivery and, and allowing uh, the natural talent to take over. And look, he, again, 23 years old, hasn't spent a full year at the big leagues, uh, which e- with each of our young guys, there's still going to be some growing pains that happen at the big league level, whether it's Lucas or Ronaldo or uh, Moncada, even Tim Anderson. Uh, these are still very young players who are going to have fits and starts. But as they mature and they understand better what uh, are their keys to success and they're able to almost self-correct on the fly, which I think is really what you're seeing from Lucas these days, uh, that is a skill that's really going to help minimize these slumps going forward and, and help them uh, get back to producing at the high level they're capable of producing at. Uh, Carson Falmer's had some command issues this spring, had some struggles, had a nice bounce back start earlier in the week, though. Would you fully expect him to be on the big league rotation on opening day? You know, we haven't made that uh, announcement just yet. We haven't had those specific conversations with what guys are going to be uh, uh, winding up in Chicago and which are, are going to be starting a year in Charlotte. But I, I will tell you that when you make an assessment on a guy like Carson, it's not just, you know, three or four starts in, in March. It's more about the body of work. Uh, it's more about his history, what he was able to do last year at the big league level and at the minor league level. And the specific work elements that we wanted him to work on while here in Glendale. Sometimes that creates more problems. For example, going back to Kopech's changeup, if he gives up a home run on a changeup, that's not necessarily a failure because we need him throwing that pitch. That this is more That's more of a teaching opportunity than something that dictates his ability going forward. Uh, it actually, you know, some of those setbacks serve him well. And in Carson's case, I, I certainly I think uh, – coming in here knowing that he had a real good shot of being the in the rotation he may well have put a little additional pressure on himself to sort of seize that or at the very least once things didn't start out great you know that felt some of that pressure and that that impact his performance so it was real good to see him the other day uh against arizona against a good arizona lineup at their place on monday have a solid start keep his he keep his mechanics in check uh sort of slow things down and to be able to throw some quality strikes that we know he's capable of doing so again young kids are going to have some fits and starts we have the opportunity ahead of us here in this season to really uh, learn about a lot of our young guys and give them the opportunity to to succeed uh, and show they belong as part of a a core of a next White Sox championship club so uh, we're going to err on the side of giving these kids those opportunities because that's at the end of this year, it's going to be real important for us to to understand uh, which of our players fit into what we're trying to do going forward and how. All right, before I let you go, can we do a little rapid fire where I throw a few names at you, you give me a quick scouting report and update on their spring and tell us where they'll start the year? 
Uh, I can tell you everything, but perhaps where they're going to start the year. Again, I prefer okay. the players to know first. Okay. But in general, I can tell you. How about Dane Dunning? How's his spring? Great spring. You know, Dane's calling card is that sinker. And, uh, you know, we actually used him out of the pen a few times, which is not how he's going to be used going forward. It's what's how he was used in college. But uh, we view him as a, as a real valuable pitching prospect going forward, a guy who's going to be able to give us innings and keep the ball on the ground. Uh, he finished the year in Winston-Salem last year. There's a decent shot. He begins the year there again this year uh, just to get uh, a nice start for the first, say, four or five, six starts of the season and then Ultimately, I suspect he'll suspend the either at the start of the year or after promotion. Will spend the, the bulk of his season at Double A Birmingham. Alec Hansen. Uh, he had a little bit of a setback early in camp with some some forearm soreness. Uh, thank goodness, uh, as I said, we already paid our uh, tributes to the baseball gods through the other injuries, and, and the MRI came back uh, essentially pristine or as good as you could possibly hope for on a pitcher. Uh, he is just dealing with that muscle soreness, getting that out, and starting to ramp back up now. So he'll once he's ready to go, he'll be part of that double-A rotation, and obviously he's uh, uh, having led the league, the, all of minor leagues and strikeouts last year, and, and uh, uh, given his physical tools, he's one of the, the finer pitching prospects in baseball, and we look forward to having him out there in, in Birmingham before long. How about Zach Collins? You know, here's the thing about Zach for me, and I, I get a little defensive on Zach because I think due to the low batting average or the low-ish batting average last year, there's this misperception that this kid had a bad year. Uh, not only did I think he walk over 80 times and hit something like 17 home runs and had an OPS over 810 or 830 or something like that, uh, all of which is really, really good for a catcher, last year was his first full year as a pro. He played more games last Last year in 2017 than his entire college career combined and he's doing it behind the plate which obviously is the most rigorous position and at the time as he leaves left camp last year it's really sort of the the catching and throwing and the and the pitch calling that we're looking for the development from him over the course of the 17th season he's going to hit everyone's always known Zach Collins is going to hit the elements that needed to you know, solidify were his, his defensive elements as a catcher. So he had a lot on his plate as a full-time catcher last year, and he still produced at an offensive level that I think is pretty darn good, despite people taking cracks at his at his batting average. I think Zach's going to be just fine. But uh, you, you hit a nerve there about Zach, so I had to, <laughs> I had to unload, fine. even though you all you did was ask how, <laughs> what kind of spring did he have, which was a good one. <laughs> I was like, did I have a weird tone there when I said his name? <laughs> I'll be careful. Careful the next time I bring up Zach Collins. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) Hey, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. uh, Last player. I know you briefly mentioned him at the start of the interview, but I saw him throw some side sessions up close, and it was eye-opening stuff. Dylan Cease to me, um, really impressive. What did you see from him this spring? Boy, this kid uh, has probably as high as upside as any pitcher in our system, uh, and, and I include Kopech in that. Uh, power stuff, great breaking ball, uh, feel for the, the, the change-up, uh, great composure on the mound, competitor. Uh, we're, we're really, really happy with where Dylan's at right now. Uh, the thing with Dylan is that not actually too dissimilar from where Michael Kopech was a year ago, he hadn't. Ha- Dylan has yet to have that season that Michael had in 2017, where he takes the ball every fifth day. 
and gets through a full starter's workload over the course of the season. Uh, you know, he had a little bit of an ankle injury last year that set him back for a period of time. Uh, he had some fatigue at the end of the year that set him back. Those are the kind of things we're looking to avoid uh, with Dylan over the course of the 2018 season. Much as it was with Michael, we loved this uh, a year ago. We loved the stuff. Take the ball every fifth day, uh, handle that starter's workload, and the stuff's going to take care of the rest. And, and if he's able to do that, uh, I think a year from now, people are going to be talking about him in you know, the same way they're talking about Michael Kopech now. I know you didn't go to the school, Rick, but are you on the Loyola train? All of Chicago's backing them right now. Have you had a chance to watch any of them? I'm a, I went to Michigan, so I still have a dog in That's the fight. Right. Uh, but I'm certainly happy for Loyola and for Chicago basketball. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I, I'm, I was kind of the Paul guy growing up. Yeah. You know, I, I remember Aguirre and Cummings and Corbin. Dillard, Grubbs, all those guys. So I was I was the Paul guy more than a Loyola guy growing up. But it certainly certainly is good for the city, and then obviously good for college basketball to have a Cinderella there, right right from our hometown. Rick, I could talk to you an hour, but uh, I know you're a busy man. You got things to do. I appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes here, and thanks a bunch. And I'm sure we'll touch base at some point uh, this season. Sounds good. I uh, appreciate you having me, Kevin. Take care. That's White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Appreciate Rick jumping on and joining us. I'm sure we'll touch base with Rick at some point down the road this season. Always enjoy talking to Rick. Always has a lot to say. So uh, good stuff there. We go from White Sox to the Cubs. Talked with The Athletic. This is the third week in a row, third episode in a row. I've had a, a member of The Athletic on. They're like taking over the sports journalism world, but... Um, a lot of good people there, so I reach out, and they're always willing to come on. So I had John Greenberg week one, Megan Montemurro from um, the Philly branch on last week to talk about Arietta, And this week's episode, talk with Patrick Mooney, who covers the Cubs for The Athletic. You wrote a good piece about Ben Zobris and how the Cubs are kind of in a good spot this spring. And, you know, I was out there for a couple weeks, and I, I got that sense as well. To me, the way I described the Cubs clubhouse this spring was it was very businesslike. And I don't mean that it was it was very serious. You know, if Joe Madden's your manager, it's never going to be overly serious. But it does seem like they're all kind of on the same page and kind of on a mission this year. Yeah, I uh, completely agree, Kevin. I wrote that uh trying to get my day straight here yesterday as i was flying back from phoenix uh to chicago was kind of my uh kind of last takeaway uh from the ground there and i think uh what you observed is right on that they're focused um they're together and we'll see <clears throat> excuse me how long it lasts uh but i think if you're a cubs fan trying to uh figure out where this team is at i think ben zovers is a good uh, observer uh, of these things, and he called it one of the best kind of team experiences uh, that he's ever had. So um, I think the Cubs are overall relatively healthy. They've incorporated a lot of new uh, coaches who've gotten good responses, and they've created a comfortable environment uh, for you, Darvish. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of question marks, and and we've heard Jed Hoyer say before that he actually prefers to have minimal amount of competition. I guess it's sort of it's sort of different on a team by team basis. Like for the White Sox, for example, they they probably you know encourage that competition because they are a team that's kind of ascending and rebuilding. Where the Cubs are like, okay, we're ready to compete for a World Series, and they put specific guys in place, but just not a whole lot of question marks. I guess for you going into this season. Are there question marks? What are you keeping an eye on as, as we're just about seven or eight days from opening day? 
Well, yeah, I mean, the Cubs aren't, you know, keeping their fingers crossed about, like, Brett Anderson as their fifth starter, which right. know, a year ago at this time, that's what they were as uh, defending champs. I think uh, what I'll be watching for is uh, I'm curious to see how Joe Madden divides up uh, the time in the outfield and who kind of <clears throat> gets hot and who becomes – uh, if there even is more of a, a regular rotation or if it is just going to be, you know, matchups uh, and things like that. And then I think beyond that, you're looking uh, at the bullpen. I mean, they're going to be careful with Brandon Morrow. They're going to manage uh, his workload. And, um, you know, I've written kind of about the Joe Madden circle of trust. It's sometimes hard to figure out, uh, you know, maybe – the how and why certain guys uh, are or not, but I think the Cubs feel like they've given him uh, a, a lot of options here, and um, I guess beyond that, it is just you, know, you kind of took for granted the last you know, season and a half of the Cubs had two of the best closers in the game in Aroldis Chapman uh, and Wade Davis, and I certainly think Brandon Morrow uh, can be an outstanding closer, but how the overall bullpen take shape uh, we're assuming pedro strope uh will be healthy uh madden really likes steve c-shack what he brings to the table and the cubs keep talking up justin wilson i think we'll, i'll believe it uh when i see it um uh but certainly i think if you look at the pitching staff one through 12 or 13 uh madden thinks it's the the deepest or the best stuff uh, on paper since he uh took over here uh, in Chicago. You mentioned the outfield, and I'm curious this year, because we're hearing the exact same things about Jason Hayward that we've heard the past two years. He's working his swing. He looks good. He's confident. All those sorts of things. But we're getting into year three now with Jason Hayward and the Cubs, and like, do you think this could be a year where Madden, like Hayward's playing time gets cut into a little bit? Maybe Almora even in right field, if you have happen center, Almora in right, Schwarber in left, because it's I mean, he can't hit a baseball. <laughs> we know how we know how great he is defensively, but he's clearly having the struggles at the plate. So, do you think this could be the year where they start kind of cutting into his playing time, or do you see Madden kind of sticking with him through it, um, even if he is struggling at the plate? Well, Madden, like he says, and I believe him when he says it, is that he loves looking out from the dugout and seeing Jason Hayward uh, in right field. And I think the Cubs, as an overall lineup, are probably going to hit enough to cover for that. Pitchers love what Hayward can do for them uh, out there. So I think he'll get certainly get a, a long run out there. I think they're going to give him a genuine shot to see if whether or not the extent of these adjustments uh, sometimes is unclear. But they like the idea of Chili Davis working with him. Uh, kind of uh, a fresh start. There's no one who's more respected uh, in that clubhouse, but certainly we all can see it. We can see the way Ian Happ is playing. He's ascending. Uh, we'll see if the new slim down Kyle Schwarber, what that means for him uh, offensively. So he is certainly part of that outfield mix. Um, I think part of it, too, though, it's, it's a little too early to, to write off Hayward because you know. Almora is going to like run into a wall or something like that. I mean, that guy just plays with such maximum effort. Um, ben Zobris, do we know if his creaky back is going to uh, flare up on him again? So I feel like there's enough 
kind of uncertainty going around uh, that outfield that it's hard to like pin down Hayward uh, as a part-time player. But you're right. I mean, those tough decisions that men's made in the playoffs of turning Hayward into a part-time player, I mean, certainly that's going to be, uh, you know, at the, at the front of his mind the deeper we get into the season. Madden says how much he loves Peter Borges. Do you think he's going to make the team opening day? you think Borges will be on the 25-man roster? Uh, I think he's made this a very tough decision for them. I think he's certainly played his way uh, firmly onto the bubble. Um, he was brought in um, as the type of player Joe Madden loves to have on, on the bench, whether it's a uh, defensive replacement for Schwarber late in the game, someone who could maybe – uh, steel base. Uh, he's seen as a good influence uh, in the clubhouse. So if they do take seven, which I'm not convinced the, that they're going to um, take seven relievers, but uh, if they do, I certainly think he's kind of that next man up. And, you know, they're looking at, okay, they don't need him necessarily the first week of the season in Miami, but eventually with all those questions in the outfield we're talking about, they're going to want someone uh, like him, and you kind of want to keep him uh, in the organization that way. So um, he's done everything they've asked. He has a nice track record. He's a solid uh, role player, and he's at least forced them this kind of move off of this idea, which seemed pretty firm at the time uh, of an eight-man bullpen. If it is an eight-man bullpen, who gets that last spot? Well, I guess we're assuming uh, Pedro Strobe is healthy. Uh, To me, it's, I mean, Justin Hancock, the way Madden talks about him, I can't guarantee he's going to be on that opening day roster, but Joe's made a point to talk about him as having A-list stuff, as having a lightning bolt uh, for an arm. Uh, So I think that's guy. I don't quite get the love for Eddie Butler uh, on Twitter and these kind of conversations, uh, you know, around Madden amongst the media, I think, yes, I get he can be kind of a long man, but to me, the momentum was on his side last year as a guy coming in from Colorado, change of scenery guy, really excited to work with him. Um, so I think if he does make the team, it's essentially kind of delaying the inevitable of maybe trying to sneak him through waivers later. Uh, I have a hard time imagining him being on the team, you know, from game 161 all the way through game 162. Let's talk about the leadoff spot for a minute. Everybody wants to figure out who the next Dexter Fowler is, and and, and there aren't a whole lot of teams in baseball that have a pure, genuine leadoff guy, and everyone's trying to figure out who's going to be the leadoff guy, and it's it's just going to be a matchup game for Madden, whether it's Hap, Almora, even Schwarber or Zobrist. If you had to bet, who do you think does get the most reps, though, at the top of the lineup? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Dexter Fowler wasn't even a leadoff guy for the Cardinals most of last year. Right. So um, I think it'll be, like you say, uh, matchups. Um, I think Hap will get some run there, same as uh, Zobrist. And... Um, I still think Madden hasn't completely ruled out the idea of bringing Schwarber back up there. I think we'll see how he hits. But Madden uh, is stubborn. Uh, He really likes what Schwarber uh, can do there. And if he 
gets off to a good start, I wouldn't be surprised to see him there uh, sooner rather than later. How do you think Schwarber looked this spring? Well, I think he looked good in that I didn't see him that often in terms of, uh, you know, I feel like he was quietly able to go about his business after years of being such a focal point uh, on this team. Uh, I think Paul Sullivan wrote it in the Tribune a couple weeks ago, just this idea of Schwarber not being front and center. And I think in the long run, that's probably uh, good for him. Not that he was seeking out attention or as a me first guy. It was just, he was this larger than life character. And I think uh, the best thing for him, this camp is that he's been able to blend uh, into the background, quietly uh, go about his work. And I think we'll see uh, that slim down Schwarber will probably help him uh, in the off field too. You know, he hates, uh, you know, really bothers him. This idea that he can't play the outfield. He felt that a couple of plays in the 2015 NLCS hardened a perception about him that he feels is not accurate. And I think he's going to get a chance to show that he can be this player that the Cubs uh, have really dreamed about and uh, really developed a close connection with. That's Patrick Mooney from The Athletic. Read his stuff at theathletic.com. Highly recommend you subscribe and read their stuff. Always great sports journalism happening there at The Athletic. So thanks to Patrick Mooney. Thanks to Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, for joining the show. Hope to talk to Rick again down the road at some point this season. And uh, I hope you enjoyed my ballpark food rant to start the show. That may have backfired. I'm not exactly sure how, how that went. Hopefully you uh, you enjoyed some, some food talk. And uh, we'll have plenty more of that next week after we get a uh, first look at some of the new food they'll be featuring at Sox Park this year. Uh, stay tuned for that. If you could uh, subscribe and review and rate the podcast at iTunes and Google Play and all that good stuff, much appreciated. I'm Kevin Powell. Thanks for listening to the Powell at the Park podcast. Have a great day. 